Welcome back to Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies with Tim Lindsay and Christian Bonner. is up now this is another sort of well immediately right at the gate you hear that wah wah slide tone that ronnie has and that and there's and there's a before i even knew what chorus was the first time i heard chorus i went oh it's the moon is up sound yeah that's a 12 string that's chorused as well and Mm -hmm. uh this is another one this is one of the weirdest songs i I really think it's one of the most bizarre songs Mm -hmm. in the stones catalog it has upright bass Char is using the thunder rods. Yeah. So it's a bit kind of lighter and smackier on the on the drums. And, and it's a, like at the bottom of the windmill lane uh, staircase as well. So it has that very, that Bonham drum reverb. It's wet as hell. Like yeah. the whole thing is steeped in, in effects and reverbs so much. And you can tell, you can tell by the kind of ghost ooh there at the end with mm-hmm. Keith that this was a Keith song. Yeah, it was originally entitled If. If the moon is up, then the sun's gone down. That was the, the lyric he came up with, but then they decided that wasn't a good enough title. And you can really tell, I think, that the first verse is Keith improv. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then from there, you can you can see Mick's kind of run with he it. He takes and over, yeah. Made it a little more uh, focused. Um, and this is a really great example of them actually writing together. And I guess this leads to the big fight they had that... I read about in the book that like it's basically after that huge fight that they had making this record that they stopped working at all closely together. And yeah, it, they wouldn't get back to this level of collaboration until a bigger bang, which was very brief. Um, maybe we'll be proven wrong with the next studio album, but I, I feel like their days of doing a long pre-production session and then working together closely well, are kind in, of behind us. In terms of length, we're in the, th- third year or something mm-hmm. of working on this particular yeah. record. So I, I really want to hear it more than anything. Um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Other things of note here are uh, that Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers is playing uh, accordion, but not notes on the accordion, just the bellows. So you get that whooshing air noise for some reason in the background. <laughs> who to thunk it? It takes all kinds. Now, that brings us to Out of Tears. So this is Nick's kind of big torch song. They played this a lot on the tour. Um, they played a lot. I think it's worth noting that they played a lot of this record yeah. live, whereas I don't think they even played as much of Bridges to Babylon live. No, um, they would rotate songs in and out and, and do one-offs, but uh, this was like a staple on the show uh, the, for 94 and 95. And it is written pretty much Mick solo on the piano. I think he says he picked up a riff or something that somebody else was playing, that da-da-da lick on the piano, and then wrote around that. But yeah, it's it's a quintessential Mick ballad. It sounds like something he might have done on a solo album, but with Ronnie and Keith. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a great song that Mick wrote um, called Evening Gown. And mm-hmm. it's so it's, it's a wonderful song, but his version of it, it just, it complete, it's exactly what Daryl was talking about. It's sterile as hell. Right. The best version of it is the, the Jerry Lee version. Mm. Jerry Lee's coming up more than I thought he would. <laughs> um, the, the Jerry Lee version of Evening Gown that Mick sings as a duet and Woody is on yeah. is wonderful. It's a great song. Mick writes really great ballads. And this has got uh, David Campbell's string arrangement. Plus you've got 
Ben Montench again, but he's actually playing a real Hammond B3 organ. And uh, Lenny Castro playing percussion. I don't know what exactly that is. I'd have to listen again to be sure. I think there is. Is there Shaker? Maybe. There's probably Maybe. something like that. Um, and yeah, that's Ronnie's great slide part and Keith's uh, beautiful electric tone in the background. And it comes across on stage as well, which is hard to do with a ballad. I Till I've lost your screen And it just gets my heart out to This has kind of been almost supplemented, if not replaced entirely, by uh, Streets of Love. It's, I was going to compare it to Streets of Love yeah. because it's very much... And Streets of Love, is, is neither of these is, is exists in a vacuum, right? Yeah. This is a thread. Like what I was saying about new faces, There's these are threads. You Got Me Rocking mm-hmm. is a thread, right? Yeah. Uh, Tom Waits talks about every song can be broken down into... Uh, three yeah archetypal uh, elements yeah. that come that that make it up mm-hmm. uh, i certainly don't mind that i know some people say oh they're repeating themselves but to me it's all one immense tapestry yeah, yeah it's a it's a an essay that'll never be finished you're just constantly like all the ones i did in school <laughs> right um so speaking of which we have a five string open G riff rocker now called I go wild, which was written by Mick, but it might as well have been a Keith song. Well, and that's, that's again, what I was saying about Mick has gotten really good in the period that they've started writing apart. Mm-hmm. Mick has gotten really good at aping the style of them writing together. I think don't stop is a really great example. Of yeah, that. sure. But as I always point out, Brown sugar is a Mick song. Yeah. And, and Keith, Keith is almost more of an arranger than he is uh, a writer. Like, I don't want to imagine what this song would be like minus Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, this is a very dark, weird lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gangs of children are hunted down. Yeah. Um, in a godforsaken shanty town. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very <laughs> strange. It's very bizarre, but it's a kind of soul survivor. It's it's got a lot of yeah. that there. But and the the again a lot of sexual imagery and you know stay away from waitresses with broken noses and check out girls striking poses. Th- and then that leads you to uh, another expletive. <laughs> one of the yes, there's another dirty word there. Surprising, this did not get the warning label that no. was so popular yeah. at the time because I think they were like, well, what? It's who, the Stones. We like who, the Stones. Who, but also, who cares? of a bunch of 50 year old people <laughs> hear a swear yeah. they've heard right it was about corrupting the youth but i mean on the other side of the coin like this was heard by young people like this album was on mtv all the time like they they appeared on 90210 i did not know not. that yeah we should watch that at some point it's, um, it's a riot what has gotten into you oh i gotta tell you they still do it to me it's in the sack jack just a little show of gratitude from a satisfied client He's a merchandising on show with a Voodoo Lounge tour. Grab what you want, Chief. Give the rest to your friends. I did not know that. Uh, let's definitely watch that. Um, <laughs> but I remember a girl being like, oh, I really like that Love is Strong song. You sure. Know? Like the people who weren't into the Stones. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to say that the breakdown of this song, like the right after the swear, mm-hmm. uh, the breakdown there, like you think it's going to be like eight bars, but they really push it as long as it's going to go. And then they bring in some... They bring in some guitar. Yeah. 
And those background vocals too with uh, with Bernard. You can yeah, really Bernard. hear Bernard and Ivan Neville too from the Winos is in this in the mix here. That's that's also yeah. super cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I love breakdowns that involve like shouty choruses. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I find interesting is that there's alternate mixes of this that have more kind of guitar noodling in them. Sure. And it really benefits from having removed yeah, a down. lot of that. Yeah. And live this turned into the like four pronged yeah, attack. Guitars like, they all plenty. go to the front and just like shove their guitars yeah. in everybody's face. But, I mean, Woody gets a great chance to let rip on the B-Bender again. He's also playing, uh, well, I guess he's playing the solo as an overdub, but, like, he's playing B-Bender licks throughout. Uh, I think got, the solo might be Keith with some supplemental hmm. stuff from, because remember Mick's yeah. playing guitar, so I think that there's... Yeah, it says in the credits, Ronnie's credited for the solo, but I think Mick, it, I don't know how There's it two works. guitars going Definitely, on in that solo. Yeah. There's two lead parts in the yeah. solo, and and Mick, that's, that's the virtue of having Mick play mm-hmm. the rhythm part. And so, again, that fight was precipitated by, Ke- you know, Ke- Keith objecting to Mick playing so gu- much rhythm guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, well, he, but he's a writer. Like, how do yeah. you not write? Right? Yeah. And I think I think Mick has a good vibe when he locks in with Charlie. Like, you hear a lot of the demos in those bootlegs of it just being Mick and Charlie, like, locking into a rhythm together with the riff and the beat. And t- until you find the melody over that and once you've got used to doing that and routining it over and over in the studio why wouldn't you continue to play that and it also kind of makes things easier but also people always think stop breaking down mm-hmm. is keith right they say, oh it's the most like it's the most like no it's an impression mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's kind of that's kind of why I think it's so misleading. They say, like, if you want to do an impression of a celebrity, copy another impression. Right, yeah. And that's kind of the same thing. It's like he's going for that super, like, chunky thing that Keith does. But when you listen to Keith play, even in the even in the older records, it's all about where it's not. Yeah. It's like the, the way of the Tao for guitar playing. <laughs> that's no, right. really. Yeah. Like it where, is, yeah. Where, where the spaces are. Yeah, are zig where they want you to zag. Or where that guitar part works. Yeah. And that's one that is definitely something that I don't think Mick has down quite as well. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that you find Keith Richards sort of impersonators always get wrong. Yeah. Uh, what else can we say that's notable about this? I think on the record, this is the only one that Clear Mountain mixed. So this is his mix. There's an alternate single mix as well, which I think is it's Scott Scott Lit, Lit the right? Lit. Yeah. Keep it 100 yeah. mix. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I think I kind of prefer Bob Queer Mountain's mixes. And I, I definitely like his, I definitely like his Love is Strong with the more modulated sure. vocal tone. Yeah. Some of the single mixes I find are a bit spicier and mm-hmm. I, I definitely like that. I understand why the album ones are a bit more toned down. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Phil Jones plays percussion on this track. Otherwise, as, as I mentioned, it's the, the usual lineup. Chuck Lavelle on B3 again. Um, then we have brand new car. I got a brand new car. I tell you she's she's running good so far. A long tradition of lyrics comparing women's body parts to car parts. 
Yeah, it's. I was kind of wondering if it was like trampled underfoot, where yeah, it actually was back. about a car. Yeah, like it was. It was kind of supposed to make you think it was a yeah. sexual metaphor, but it really was just pure materialism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I think Robert Plant has said that uh, trampled underfoot was inspired by Terraplane Blues, where it's like, yeah, you could tell that he's talking about a woman, but like he doesn't actually say women's body parts. <laughs> you know, that they're trying to tread that line and, and keep it kind it's of. It's more ribald. fun. It's definitely more fun. Like if you did a song called like the "I'm gonna have sex with you" song, yeah, <laughs> right. Like that's kind of you know, the, where's the fun in that? But if it's about like stealing chickens, right. there's a lot of those, yeah, right. That's kind of more fun because it allows you to go there. And also, like music is music is always about symbols and metaphors. So sure. if you get you you don't want to get too lost in the in the pure concept of it. Mm-hmm. Keith really lays into this. He plays bass and wah wah guitar on this in the credits anyway, and that's unheard of for him to play wah wah. And a fantastic horn chart. He did have a wah uh, in the mid seventies. Oh right, and yeah. a volume pedal. Sure. I don't know what he did with the wah. Honestly, I think I, for Fool to Cry, he would sometimes he would do. He, he used a volume pedal. I know he used a volume pedal for Fool to Cry because mm. he fell asleep during Fool to Cry once, and I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> but he woke himself up because he fell onto the volume pedal. And, and the like, feedback, the probably, feedback yeah. got him. So, yeah, you've got David McMurray and, and Mark Isham playing the, the horn parts here. Fantastic uh, horn. Great horn parts. Uh, Lenny Castro joins Luis Hardim on the percussion. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a good groove number. Like, I mean, you can, again, criticize the lyrics for being silly or over the top or whatever, but, again, it suits the funky vibe. So. Yeah, it's not really, like, you're looking, for, if you want to criticize it for that, that's fine, but I would say you're looking for depth in a in a place that where that doesn't really exist. Yeah. The depth is in the arrangement. Like, for the sure. depth is in the execution of the actual music, and the lyrics are just kind of an excuse uh, to, to, uh, to have that party. I would say probably the one that I think stands out as maybe perhaps our, I'm going to venture to say both our favorite. I, I, yeah, I was just going to say it's sweethearts together. And this is like Mick and Keith doing a ballady like thing in full collaboration. It's very similar. I would bet that there's a lot of influence of um, Sam Cooke. Yeah, yeah, that soulful. It's, it's very soulful, soulful, but it has that Latin what they call what they would call in the '50s Spanish tinge. Yeah, a little cha cha. Yeah, but everybody loves to cha cha. Just remember that, folks. <laughs> everybody loves to cha cha. Uh, but what I think is interesting about this one is uh, that it it leans into that in a way that I don't think they could have gotten away with right. in the '50s. Yeah, it goes straight to cuba right it yeah. doesn't it doesn't go like oh we're gonna go near there we're gonna go yeah and, and and there's a tex-mex thing as well i think because they have max baca on the the bajo sexto and uh flaco, flaco jimenez. jimenez on the yeah and so the, the specter here there's the you can you can feel the ghost of rye cooter right yeah uh, because this sounds a lot like um something from maybe chicken skin music sure there's that there's the the conjunto influence from the button accordion track i was playing it the other day because i just got i just switched the strings on my acoustic guitar and i was i was playing it and it's just a wonderful song it's a it's an overtly sentimental song from a band known from their cynicism yeah and i would say that this is 
it's it's like three chords. Yeah. Uh, except for the little button at the end, which is wonderful. It's extremely well executed. The and modulation up at the end is great. Yeah, yeah, it really just says like any reservations you've had about this song not giving you your money's worth. <laughs> yeah. Just forget about that. You're going to get it all. The instrumentation and the playing, uh, the the execution of this is just perfect it's yeah. such an it's such a beautiful song okay. and again ronnie's work is superlative like both on uh, he does both pedal steel and lap steel here so you know he's really kind of weaving in and out where it needs to be and that, staying out of the that way modulation uh, and a movement through like the the whole gulf of mexico yeah here because <laughs> there's like some new orleans there's mm-hmm. some there's some tex-mex there's uh the afro-cuban side of things and it it just it just goes for it. It's one of the, it's one of those songs that you just think like, why is this? Why this is from 1994? Like, yeah. isn't this like, is this a resort music from the Bahamas? Like, yeah, is this yeah. 19th century? Like, it, something yeah, like it Robert has, Palmer might have done. It has this timelessly classic yeah element to it i don't think i can say enough good things and it truly is a deep cut i don't think they've ever played it live it's never been on a single it's buried somewhere in the middle of this record uh, if they i would lose my mind if they if they busted yeah. that out if, if they promised to play that at a specific show i would travel <laughs> anywhere <laughs> to, to hear it uh what if they played it in fallujah mm. um <laughs> but fallujah I, yeah. hardly nuja um, I just wish that I just wish like it took them what the, the it was the 50th anniversary 40th anniversary of, of Sticky Fingers for them to do that something like that so yeah. I guess we, we just have to wait for the heads in jars uh, <laughs> 20, 75 30, and counting 2034 <laughs> yeah. tour yeah well maybe uh, by then I'll have saved up the money <laughs> exactly So Suck on the Jugular is the next track. And this is, again, kind of funk-based, obviously. And Super 90s Yeah, me. very much like a, an R&B 90s and there's, thing. So back to these bootlegs, which you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't contribute to gray markets. No. at all you shouldn't you shouldn't do that yeah if, if if you're if you haven't heard these things go on youtube a lot of them are up there um again i i can't recommend enough felix a please guide because he's cataloged all this stuff and sorted it by session but a lot of the a lot of the demos uh actually are very similar to things like continental drift yeah they're they're, they're very sequenced and they have this and i think that that thread was deliberately ignored early in the process yeah, mix says that don moss when he sort of joined the process and started weeding through all this material kind of discouraged them from going to those sorts of grooves and yeah he said we just we're just gonna do i remember that he just said we're look, guys just do the best rolling stones album yeah that you can make because i think they would have left themselves open to criticism of like oh well since bill wyman left they're they've they're all synthesis and no substance right like that that would have been a concern if they put out a record with like a bunch of continental drift style not works. for me, but but I, but, <laughs> but then yeah. but the funny thing is is that Voodoo Lounge of the stuff from this era gets the most heat for being the most conservative. So yeah. there's kind of no winning. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you look at uh, the early takes as you were saying, uh, and this funky kind of four on the floor pop and bass thing was what they were into like it's weird that this is the only example of it on the final record it, it really. is weird and it's honestly weird that it's one of the only, only examples of where they were going yeah Th- this this sound honestly this song could it be points on, the way forward really. could be on bridges to babylon mm-hmm. 
again, a dark lyric, some swears. Mm-hmm. There's a swear in the chorus, like, it, and and I wonder if that I wonder if the profanity on this is actually another clue that um, they're absorbing hip hop. Maybe so, yeah. Because Mick was definitely into hip hop at this point. I mean, well, I mean, Living Color, right? Like, the, yeah, like the Mick, rock and hip hop crossover was like a big thing. You know, Aerosmith and Run DMC, like or Rim Biscuit. <laughs> we weren't there yet, but <laughs> yeah. um, you've got like people like Doug Wimbish auditioning for the session. Like they're they're in. I think the uh, the lead singer from Living Color hosted the Voodoo Lounge pay per view. We should watch that. But uh, like, and that Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. He's singing backup with Whoopi Goldberg on that version of Sweet Virginia, right? Which is weird. But yeah. The Miami. Again, we're spoiled because we asked for a, a bootleg series and we got it. Yeah. I would say that we want to see something from the Voodoo Lounge tour. Yeah. If there's a multi-track from the, one of those outdoor shows, they should remix it. And the see. one with, with Bo Diddley and mm, yeah. Robert Cray, who just seems to be waiting by the phone uh, <laughs> constantly yeah. to do a guest appearance. Uh, that's a great set list. It's all over now, and and they do a lot. That's the first. The B stage also comes into it yeah, on this. Where they Though do it, the acoustic numbers. It's kind of yeah. off to the side, mm-hmm. which is weird. Like yeah. the way that they did it on Babylon, where it reaches into the crowd, mm-hmm. is the way it it was for a long time, and that's better because then the people who you know paid like the mid tier prices right. get them a little bit closer. And as opposed to just like having it off the side, uh, got to mention the giant uh, flame spewing scorpion tail. Yep. Also, probably one of the best sets they've ever had. Yeah, the uh, the video screen was pretty spectacular by 1994 standards. It was basically the whole width of the entire stage, so that was pretty stunning. That's uh, the beginning of the era where they have a full video crew on tour with them, specifically to make them look good on that screen. You've been listening to Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, like us on Facebook, and send us an email to rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com.